This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we are continuing our message series called Not Impressed, and we're going to talk about how Jesus is not impressed by your appearance. And some of you might think, great, because today was rough, right? And so you, like, you, had the, you had the thing, and eventually it was like, well, let's go uh, before we miss all of worship. We'll just, the lights are down, it'll be fine, everybody, you know. Uh, and so, so that might be good, uh, but probably not. What's actually going to happen for us this morning is most of us at some point, uh, might prayerfully this morning, are going to let Jesus come and shine his light into some dark spaces in our heart, shine his light into some spaces that maybe we haven't paid a lot of attention to, uh, but show us where he wants to bring light and life to us. So if you were here when we kicked off this series in September, we started with the story of the prodigal son. Um, and the story of the prodigal son just really uh, exemplifies these two points of Jesus doesn't care how awful you are and he doesn't care how awesome you are. He's just moving towards you to invite you into new life. And so we looked at that story and we talked about how, um, you know, the younger brother is just this example of when life is completely off the rails and everything's a disaster, Jesus comes to draw us to himself. And the older brother is an example of when we are pretty arrogant in our self-righteousness and, and really happy when we compare ourselves to others, Jesus still comes to us and says, you're not as good as you think you are. You still need my life. You still need my light. And so let's walk this way. And I shared a thought with you that I want to go back to again this morning from Shane Claiborne. Um, he said, the gospel is good news for sick people and is disturbing for those who think they've got it all together. Some of us have been told our whole lives that we are wretched, but the gospel reminds us that we are beautiful. Others of us have been told our whole lives that we are beautiful, but the gospel reminds us that we are wretched. And so for the, the first half of this series, we've been talking about those, those moments in life where you think everything is terrible, and God comes and says, I can make this beautiful. So we've talked about how, how Jesus comes, and he comes in your sickness, he comes in your storms, he comes to deal with your problems, he comes despite any baggage you might have. He's not impressed by it, but he just moves towards you in it and says, I, I'm right there in the middle of the mess with you, bringing life and salvation, and those are wonderful stories to hear. The other side of that, though, and where we're kind of transitioning a little bit in our series, is there are other times where Jesus comes and we are feeling pretty proud of ourselves, we're feeling pretty put together, we're kind of looking around and, and are becoming convinced that not only am I doing pretty well, but I'm doing better than all these jokers around me, right? And, and you know who needs Jesus? He does, she does, they do. If they would be like me, the world would be better. We've had some of these thoughts. And in that space, Jesus comes in and begins to tell us, you're not as good as you think you are. You're relying on your self-righteousness. You're relying on your own efforts. You're relying on your own appearance. And your, your external focus is creating some internal problems. Right? Basically, you can think of it this way. There are times in life that Jesus makes you say, wow. And there are times in life Jesus makes you say, ow. And we've done the wow messages. And now we're going to get into the ow messages. Right? And so just so we're on the same page, I would much rather preach the wow messages. Like it's, it's a lot more fun to tell people, hey, you're hurting, you're broken, you're at your lowest point, And Jesus is coming and he's going to restore and he's going to renew. It's not real fun to be over here on the like, hey, you think you're nailing it, but you're not, 
right? You think everything's perfect, but it's not. You think that, that you are, have arrived at the, the kind of pinnacle of Christianity, but you haven't. And so I, I hope you will hear these messages from me the way I intend them to be. And that's simply as an invitation to walk with Jesus through every season of life. This is what the father says to the older son. He doesn't go out there and yell at him. He goes out and tells him in the story of the prodigal son, tells the older brother who's done everything. He says, look, everything I have has always been yours, but come inside and let's just have a party for your younger brother. And in these seasons where God comes and he starts to speak these direct messages to us, we want to receive them. And so one big challenge that we're all going to have to overcome today and over the next couple of weeks is when you get into the the owl messages of Jesus, there's a temptation to listen for other people, right? So we read these stories of Jesus, and, and when I read the story of Jesus calming the storm, it's easy for me to see myself as a disciple in the boat, and Jesus comes to me and he says, peace be still and everything is still. Right? It's, it's easy for us to put ourselves in that position of, yes, I'm the recipient of God's grace, but when we're the recipient of his conviction, sometimes we place ourselves next to Jesus while he talks to everyone else. And so even this morning, there'll be a temptation as we get into Matthew 23 for us to think, man, I'm glad. I'm not just glad I'm here. I'm glad they're here today, right? Like this, there has never been a better message for my dad to listen to than this one. There's never been, a, or you're already thinking as we get into it, you're gonna be thinking, man, if only my kid, my wife, my cousin, my, those people in my home group who think they are so good, right? You're just gonna, you're gonna have that. And so, so I'm inviting you, just like I've invited myself all week long, lay that down and put yourself in the position of Jesus is speaking directly to me. All right, so in Matthew 23, we see Jesus basically telling a, a group of religious leaders that he is not at all impressed by their appearance. Now, in, in the culture in which Jesus lived, the religious leaders were kind of at the, the, the highest level of authority and respect. And there were a couple different groups. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, and really the only difference was they had some different interpretations of the law, but they were both respected, they were both revered, and they both cared a lot about their appearance. And Jesus said a lot of hard things to them. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, kind of an extended segment in Matthew 23. We're going to pick out some pieces. You should read the whole thing later so you can see the the entire context of it. But Jesus starts in Matthew 23, verse 5, by talking about the biggest problem the Pharisees have, and it's that they're in love with their appearance. He says in verse 5, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So he makes this statement. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels long. They love to be treated with respect. They love to have titles of respect. They love the seats of honor. Now, when Jesus is saying this, it's, it's hard for us to understand because we don't live in that culture. But when he's saying it, for the people that are there hearing these statements, there is this moment of like, oh, oh, so Jesus is just going to say what we've all been thinking, right? And and you've been there. So so we lose the shock because we don't, right? Like when he says their phylacteries are wide, we're like, what? Like a medical condition? Is that something you go to the doctor for? I have an enlarged phylactery. You, you You don't know. Is that a gland? Is that what? We don't get it. So we got to do a little work. So, so put yourself in this position. I don't, I don't know if you were ever there, but um, 
so, so say you're in high school. The, the time I remember this most was when I was in seminary. So I, I had this, uh, this church history class, and our professor was brilliant. I mean, he had written books. He had earned his doctorate. He had forgotten more church history than any of us would learn. And it was a lecture class. And if you've ever been there, you know a lecture class means my job as a student is to shut up and take notes. And he's going to talk the whole time. And, and we were all on board with that. Forty or so of us in the class, we're all on board with that except for that one guy. Right? And you know who he is. It, it could be in junior high. It could be in high school. It could be in college. It could be in graduate school. But it's always that one person who is somehow convinced that we are all paying $300, $400 an hour to listen to him ask questions and him try to argue with the professor. And so, and so this goes on for a little bit, a couple weeks, and then there's, there's finally one day where our professor's just had enough. And he says, I, I forget the guy's name. It was probably dummy, something like that, right? So he's just like, hey, listen, this is a lecture class. Your classmates are not here to listen to you talk, and I am not here to listen to you talk. Your job is to sit there and take notes, and I'm going to talk. Stop interrupting me. And it was this moment in the class where we were just all like, yes, do it. Say it again. Tell us what his grade is because we don't think it's very good. Right? Like we just wanted complete, this is what Jesus has done. It's that moment where they're all kind of like, oh, oh, so he's just going to call it like it is here. So what he says, he says, you make your phylacteries wide, you make your tassels long. So in, the, in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people of Israel, he says, one of the ways you're to remember the commands of God is you're to bind them on your arms and you're to bind them on your foreheads. And so the religious leaders, they had taken this seriously and they had started to make these little boxes and these little boxes were called phylacteries. Right? So they would then strap them onto their arm, they would strap them onto their forehead, and inside there would be tiny pieces of scripture that they had written out and they had put on there. Well, the, the Pharisees, like good religious people, decide if a little phylactery is good, a wide phylactery is better. Because now I can fit more in it, and it can be seen. I mean, they're, they're the ancient equivalent of the, the person who used to carry, like, the family Bible to church on Sunday morning. Like, see how holy I am. This Bible weighs more than my child, right? And, and so you just kind of, this is, this is what they're doing. The tassels, Moses told them to tie tassels onto the four corners of their garments to remind them of the commands of God. And so God had given them these things to do as a way to remember his presence, to remember his promises, and to remember their responsibility to it. And like a lot of forms of religion, they had taken what were supposed to be good reminders and they had turned them into these ultimate things that were demonstrating their holiness and demonstrating their righteousness. So when Jesus just starts out and he says, look, the problem with the Pharisees is everything they do, they do to be seen by others. And then he starts to call out what they do. They want to have respected titles. They want to have respected seats. They want to have wide phylacteries and long tassels because they've decided my appearance is what matters more than anything. Now, the, the thing that, that really makes this difficult for the Pharisees is their appearance and their reputation has earned them a lot of benefits. So because they have the wide phylacteries, because they have the long tassels, they're treated with respect, they're greeted with honorary titles, and they're given good seats to sit in. And so they, they now find themselves living in this space where they have to keep up their appearance and their reputation so they can continue to enjoy all the benefits of it. 
right? And, and you and I, we've, we've been in that space at times as well, where we too have fallen in love with our appearance, we've fallen in love with our reputation, and we've fallen in love with some of the benefits that come with it. I mean, we, we don't have wide phylacteries. None of you walked in. Some of you might have tassels. I don't know. But if so, they're not religious. They're just decorative. Uh, but, but none of us came in this morning with that thought. And yet we all came in with a concern for our appearance. We all came in with a desire for, I want you to see me. I want you to respect me. I want you to affirm that not just physically the way I look, but, but I, want, I want your admiration in all areas. I want you to look at my marriage and think that's a good one. I want one like it. I want you to look at my kids and think those are good. I wish mine were like that. I want you to look at the way I approach my job and, and you to think, hey, he does a good job there. I want you to look at the way I handle my money and think, okay, that's, that's some wise financial stewardship. And, and we all have that same desire as well. The problem for the Pharisees and the problem for us is that that, that external focus creates internal blindness. The more concerned we are with our appearance and reputation, typically the less time we spend evaluating our heart and our motivation. And it's, it's really challenging for us now because we live in a culture where you have hundreds, if not thousands, of surface-level relationships. And in almost all of those relationships, people's, uh, their, their interaction with you is based entirely off your appearance. And so, so we're heading into the season where this happens. It's, it's getting ready to be Christmas card season, right? And so I know it's like some of you are going to send Christmas cards. That's great. I love them. And you know what? I honestly appreciate the work you put into your appearance before you mail me a Christmas card. Like, I, I don't actually want the makeup-free sweatpants and hoodie photo of your family. You can just keep that to yourself. And we'll keep ours ourselves, right? Nobody sends out it's a bedhead Christmas uh, because... <laughs> You just don't. No, nobody's impressed by that. But we like, we like the picture. And so here's what, here's what I know about your Christmas pictures. It's what's true about mine is the finished product looks great. People are smiling. The clothes are coordinating, right? That distressed barn door behind you looks awesome. Or the brick wall with the chipping paint or the mural. Like which, We've all picked the same ones. It's fine. Like No judgment there. Those are all cooler places than our house. Or the Olin Mills background that I had growing up in all my family pictures, right? Like, how many purplish, pinkish backgrounds can we have? Come on. Let's, so so that's, that's fine. But we all know, at, so you're going to start getting those pictures. And, and I don't know if you make piles. I don't know if you put them on the fridge. I don't know what you do. But we all know when we get those, there is a story behind every single picture that we enjoy. And the story is never, not one single time, Man, before we went to take this picture, you know, my, my wife did a lot of shopping. She came home, and she gave the clothes to my kids, and, and my kids just said, Mom, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the time you spent picking these out. Thank you that you shopped at 17 different stores until you found a 15-inch waist and a 47-inch inseam so that I could actually have pants that fit. Like, thank you for finding the top that brings out the blue sparkle in my eyes. No, there's no mom that has that. I know no kid comes to their dad and just says, hey, mom, dad, thanks for the clothes. I know you guys worked really hard for them. And I just want you to know, I'm going to do my best to take care of these clothes and make them last as long as possible so they're in good shape when we pass them down to my sibling. That's not it at all. Right, what happens? What happens is these are too hot. These are too itchy. It's too cold. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. 
right? Like Angie puts in all the work in our family for the Christmas card, and the, the four of us, we put in all the complaining. Like it's just, I don't know why. She keeps doing it because she is kind and gracious and wants us to have happy memories. So she does, but every time, like when we're driving there, at some point I'm asking her, how much does this cost? And she tells me, and I'm like, why are we paying so much to just yell at each other? We can just do this for free, right? We all have this moment. But the finished product is beautiful. And the appearance is what we're concerned with. And that's what gets the comments. And that's what gets the likes. And that's what gets the affirmation. And we're not necessarily being disingenuous. We're just not telling the whole story. And if we, if we keep living in this culture where all we're ever presenting is our, our, our best possible appearance, then we will subtly start to believe the lie that everything I have in life is because of this reputation and this appearance. And once you get to that space, you're on really dangerous ground. Because anything that now comes and threatens your appearance or your reputation, you're afraid is going to cost you everything that you love and everything that you enjoy. And so we become a superficial culture. We become superficial Christians. We can become a superficial church where we're all just kind of saying, hey, let's just, let's just float right along here. And this is what had happened to the Pharisees. They looked the part. But Jesus was not impressed by their appearance. And the reason he wasn't impressed is he could see what their external focus had done to their internal condition. So as we work through two little segments here in Matthew 23, we're going to see Jesus' very direct speech to the Pharisees and his very direct speech to us about what happens when we focus on the external at the expense of the internal. Okay, so the, again, read the whole thing later. He's got lots of stuff to say in here, but the first one we're going to look at this morning is in verse 25. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, when he's, he's talking about a cup here, he's not actually talking about, hey, Pharisees, I came over to your house for dinner and there's some stuff on the plates. He, he's, he's using the cup, right, as a, a representation of your life. And what he's saying is in your life, it doesn't matter how much you polish and clean the outside. It doesn't matter how gleaming white this is. If on the inside you're full of dirt and junk, it's, it doesn't, this becomes a useless vessel. Right, you're not going to use it for anything. If you come over to my house this afternoon and you say, hey, will you make me a cup of coffee? And I hand you this cup, and as you turn it over, it starts to fall out. I'm like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just, it's dirt, but it'll be, just add some water. It's organic coffee. Uh, just, you know, pour some. You're not going to do it. And if you give it back to me, and you're like, hey, can you clean that up? I'm like, sure, yeah, I can clean that up. And I get the Clorox wipe out, and I wipe off the outside of it, and I hand it right back to you. And you, you, again, it's still the same stuff. I haven't done anything. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. Look, it doesn't matter how you look on the outside as long as there is dirt and junk on the inside. So he's telling the Pharisees, outside you've got a beautiful appearance. You look like you've got it all together. But inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, if we had time this morning to go around the room and each individual person, right, we're going to pass the mic around, and each person is going to confess the thing that they don't want anyone else to know about. What I can almost guarantee you 
is every single action, every single thought, every single sin is going to be rooted in some form of greed or self-indulgence. It's, it's the worship of yourself. It's the elevation of your needs and desires at the expense of everyone else. And so what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is, I don't care about this as long as there's full, it's full of junk in there. And, and, and so our response then is, well, when Jesus shows me that inside my life is full of greed and self-indulgence, I have to deal with it. But most of the time, our response is, yeah, it's not great, but let's just not talk about that. Let's just look at the outside. Let's, Jesus, did you, yeah, I, I know that's not good, but did you hear that I'm serving at the Candy Corn Carnival this Thursday? I know that's not good, but let me quote some scriptures I learned. I know that's not good, but Jesus, I'm, I'm a home group leader, so we can't talk about this, or, or people might be upset with me. Jesus, I can't, and, but here's the thing. Whenever Jesus reveals what is on the inside, he does it so that we will let him deal with it. He's not just coming to give you a little bit of knowledge about who you are. He's coming to call you to action and more importantly, call you to surrender to his action. And he's not going to sit by while your secret sin remains secret. See, that sin that, that you harbor in your heart, that junk that Jesus sees and he's calling out, it remains powerful for as long as it remains secret. As long as you're believing the lie that I can handle this on my own, this is no big deal, I've got this under control, I don't need any intervention, I don't need any help. As long as you're believing that, that sin keeps you captive, it keeps you bound up, and it keeps you from being fully used as God intends for you to be used. When Jesus reveals it, he intends for you to deal with it. And if you won't, he loves you enough to upset the circumstances of your life until it comes out. And so this morning, each of us, we're basically faced with a choice of when Jesus shows it, I can either say, okay, Lord, come take it out. Or I can wait till life starts swinging back and forth enough that it just starts coming out. And when it comes out, guess what? Now, I don't have control over the damages. Now, I don't have control over who it hurts. Now I have no, there, there's no, but in this moment of surrender of, okay, Lord, I see it and it's in there and it's not good. So I'm just going to take it and I'm going to turn it upside down right here and I'm going to let you clean it out. And I, I know there might be some consequences. I know there might be some difficult things, but Lord, will you come and do it? And what Jesus is telling us is he is not concerned with how pretty things look on the outside as long as things are rotten on the inside. And that is not a message of condemnation and get out of here. He's not saying, hey, you better hurry up or I'm going to toss your stuff all over the place for the world to see. He's saying, look, let's just deal with it here. Let's deal with it now. Confess it to me. Confess it to others. Invite people into this process with you. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a person who has all the external signs of religious observance and internally is full of greed and self-indulgence. In every space where Jesus shines his light, he does it to bring freedom, not just to bring an awareness of what's inside of there. As he reveals, we respond. And just in case we don't get it, and just in case we don't want to follow him down that path, he gives us another picture that's even more direct. Verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, the the first thing I want you to notice is Jesus admits the Pharisees and their religious observance was beautiful on the outside. He, he, He tells them, you guys, look, you're nailing it. You look like you have it all together. And to some of us this morning, that's God's first message to us is, hey, from the outside, it looks good. Right? From the outside, it it looks like the marriage is strong. From the outside, it looks like you're a person of integrity. From the outside, it looks like you walk in purity. From the outside, it looks like you're a good financial steward. From the outside, it looks like you're a healthy person. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says you're basically whitewashed tombs. It's pretty on the outside, but it's full of death on the inside. So that, that idea of whitewashed tombs, there's, there's two possible interpretations of it. The first is um, being touching a grave or, or being too close to a grave would make a Jewish person unclean. And so especially in the graveyards, the tombs around Jerusalem, going into holy days where people were coming into the temple to offer sacrifices, to worship, they would mark the tombs, the gravestones in white, so that no one would accidentally stumble onto one, touch one, and be unclean. The, the other part of that is, is, you know, when people died, they didn't have all the chemicals that, that we have now, that whole embalming process. And so it was a pretty quick process of deterioration, and, and pretty quickly it would just be bones that would be left in the grave. And so to kind of consolidate space, what they would do is they would have these, these beautiful little boxes, and normally they were white. And they would go in and there would be one box maybe for each person and they would gather the bones and they would place them in and they were decorated and they were beautiful and they cared for them, right? I mean, our our most modern equivalent would maybe be an urn, right? And so, so what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter how much you dress up the outside. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. Now, now for us, you can, this is nice looking, but you can get an urn that's far prettier than this, right? In fact, you can go on Amazon this week and search all kinds of urns. But here's the thing. If you buy an urn on Amazon, you're going to start getting some weird recommendations after that. Okay, so just be, just be warned. Like, it gets dark and it gets weird. So uh, maybe, maybe don't do it. Um, and your spouse will wonder, what are you shopping for? Uh, but, but just here's the thing. So with an urn, you can spend 25 bucks. You could spend thousands of dollars. You could have the whole thing, you know, gold-plated and diamond-encrusted, and it could be worth tens of thousands of dollars. But it doesn't matter how pretty it is on the outside if on the inside it's full of death. Now, this one is empty, actually. I did not bring my grandma uh, to help me make a sermon point. But she loved Jesus, and I think she would have been okay with it. Uh, but that's not it, right? It, it doesn't matter. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Look. It can be beautiful. It can be lovely. You can put all kinds of time and effort into it. You can, you can have people thinking that you are nailing it in every way. You can have them think that, yeah, we've been married 40 years and we've never been more in love. Now you can have them think, I've worked this job faithfully and I've been a good steward and, and I'm, I'm not so rich that you could call me stingy and I'm not so poor that you could call me a bad steward. I just hit the sweet spot right in the middle. Right, you, you, can, you can look around and think, yeah, our, our kids love us and everything's in line. I've got good friendships and emotionally we're healthy. But you know on the inside is death. You know on the inside there's bitterness, there's rage, there's unresolved anger, there's hurt over things that have happened in the past, there's shame, there's embarrassment. 
Are there sins that you're currently engaged in that you know it doesn't matter what this looks like? As long as that remains in there, I'm experiencing death. And here's here's what you have to understand about Jesus. He loves you too much to ignore the death inside of you. The God who calls himself the resurrection and the life will always expose the deepest, darkest forms of death in you until you experience complete and total freedom in him. And the reason he does that is not to shame you or to punish you, but he does it because he knows death contaminates. Death rots. Death never stays isolated. And that little corner of your heart where you think it's, it's okay, I've built walls around it, it can't hurt anyone, it's going to leak out. It's going to seep up. It's going to have an effect on the rest of your life. And so he's coming to us, not just speaking to religious leaders 2,000 years ago, but speaking to you and I today and saying it doesn't matter how beautiful your appearance is. It doesn't matter how respected your reputation might be. If on the inside you're full of death and everything unclean, I need to work in that space. And that's terrifying for many of us. Because we're convinced if people find out what's in here, they're not going to care about what's out here. All that I've worked for, all that I've earned, all that I've attained, it's going to be gone, it's going to be left. And I'm going to be isolated and I'm going to be alone. And maybe that's how you think God responds to. That he he looks at you and he says, hey, I know what's in you. And I'm going to convict you of it. And I'm going to shine my light in your darkness. And I'm going to do it until you admit just how rotten you are. And if you stopped reading Matthew 23 right where we stopped, then I could understand how you feel that way. Because Jesus is harsh and Jesus is direct. And when you think he said the most offensive thing to the Pharisees, he follows it up with something that's even more pointed. I mean, just time after time, he's coming at them in wave after wave after wave. But you have to read all the way to the end of the story so that you fully understand his heart and his intentions. See, Jesus finishes in verse 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? But you were not willing. Now that was, you know, again, it's, we've got to do work to really understand what's being said here. When Jesus says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's, he's not talking about a city with geographical boundaries right here. When he talks about Jerusalem, he's talking about the people of God. And Jerusalem is a seat of power. He's specifically talking about the leaders of the people of God, who are the Pharisees that he's just called hypocrites over and over and over and over again. But he's trying to make a point for us. Actually, Angie, can you help me with this? So he's, he's trying to help us understand something. Come stand like right here. She got no warning. Like during worship, I'm like, hey, I need your help at the end. Uh, just hang out there. So, so our view is when Jesus reveals a death. So, so Angie's over here. And, and got, so just so you know, in our relationship, most of the time, the person who needs the most conviction is me. And I know that's shocking to you, right? And, and so, so this is purely an illustration. This is not um, some passive-aggressive husband move on my part, okay? So, so let's just say 
let's just say God is speaking to Angie this morning and he's convicting her. And he's saying, hey, Angie, there's some stuff inside that we got to deal with. Now, the, the picture some of us have, either because of the, the church we grew up in or because of our own guilty personalities or, or just because we, we somehow continually believe the lie that our relationship with God is some kind of transaction, that I've got to do a lot of good and it'll make up for some of my bad and then maybe in the end he'll be happy with me. Right? But, but we want to go back to the story of the prodigal son. What's the father's response? It's to run and throw his arms around the younger son. It's to go out and put his arm around the older son and say, come on, let's just go back in. And here in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says to the leaders of Jerusalem, I I know all about your sin. He's just called it all out. He says, but what I really want to do is I want to gather you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. And so some of us, we have this view of we're over here and God starts to call out the death inside of us. He's saying, Angie, there's some stuff in there we've got to deal with. There's some unresolved issues. There's some sins we've got, to, we've got to manage. And we have this feeling that God is standing over here looking at us and saying, fix it. And when you fix yourself, then I'll move towards you. When you deal with all that crap, I'm so tired of it. I'm so sick of it. You made a thousand promises and you've broken them over and over again. When you fix it, I'll come to you. And that's that response we think Jesus is going to have with the Pharisees. You guys have been screwing this up for hundreds of years. Get it straight, and then I'll help you. But how's he finished? It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Pharisees, Pharisees. How often have I longed to gather you to myself, to bring you close, like a a hen puts a chick under her wing. This is the picture he's saying. When Jesus calls you out... He does it to call you in. So he's saying, hey, Ange, there's some stuff you've got to work with, but I don't expect you to work at it by yourself over here. Come here, come close. And here you're going to be protected. And here you're going to be safe. And here we're going to talk about the death, but we're also going to talk about the life. Here we're going to talk about the things that are wrong, but we're also going to talk about how I'm going to make them right. Here we're going to talk about all the things that you've destroyed, but we're also going to talk about how I restore and renew and reconcile. Here we're going to talk about how you have destroyed your marriage, you've destroyed your children, you've destroyed it all. And I'm going to come and write a story of grace that's beyond your wildest dreams and imagination, but I'm not going to leave you on the edge to do it by yourself. I'm going to bring you in, I'm going to hold you up close, and I'm going to say I'm going to protect you, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide you all the way through this process. This is the invitation Jesus gives us this morning. He's calling you out to call you in. He's not expecting you to stay over there in your shame and your isolation by yourself. He's saying, you are my son, you are my daughter. You are the one I love, so come close and let me help you. Come close where you can feel my heartbeat. Come close where you can hear my voice. Come close where my arms can protect you. And from this space, we're going to bring new life into every area. And when we start to get this picture, the fear starts to melt away. The concern about what will be, because Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to do it, but I'm going to be right there with you. Whatever path we walk, I'm going to be there with you. We stand with me. We want to pray for you this morning. I'm actually going to ask, ask Angie to lead us in a prayer. As, as Chris mentioned earlier, she, she prays for Christian Chapel a lot. She prays for me a lot. And, and for the past two and a half years, 
our most common prayer, and specifically Angie's most common prayer, is that God would shine light in darkness. Not to shame, but to set free. And so I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with us this morning. And I'm gonna ask Angie to pray that prayer over us. And, and it might, this might seem a little weird, and, and if so, I'm sorry. But if you're by somebody that, that you're related to or a friend that you're comfortable with, I, I'd encourage you to just reach out, put your arm around them. Create that physical reminder of this is how God meets us. If you're sitting by a stranger, sitting by alone, at least reach out and put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Jesus calls you out to call you in. So I'm going to ask Angie to, to pray this, and then we're going to give us a, a chance to respond to what God is saying to us. God, I just come to you right now, Lord, and I pray first um, for forgiveness, God. I pray that you'll forgive us for carrying around facades, like God, for not acknowledging that we are sinful by nature, Lord, not acknowledging that you have power over us and the sin in our lives, God. I pray that you would come to us, Lord, that you would shine your light into the darkest part of our hearts, God, that you would take what's going on in our lives and that you would shine a light into it. And I pray that we would do the work, God, that we would allow your light to come in, that we would allow your light to do the work, Lord. And I pray even in the uncomfortableness, God, that you would make us comfortable, that you would give us peace, Lord, that you would show us the way, the direction, the steps to take, God, that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, as we walk through these times of the darkness being shown, Lord, that we would feel so close to you, God, that we would see the times that you orchestrate our steps as that, God, not as consequences or not as coincidences, Lord, but just that you are trying to shine light into darkness so we can be so close to you and in relationship with, with you, God. And I pray that we would allow you to do the work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. The band's going to lead us in a final song this morning. As they do, I want to encourage you, if, if God is speaking to you clearly, that person he's put next to you is a, a wonderful place to start the confession process. If you're not comfortable with that, there's a prayer room out the doors and to your left. Some of our pastors and prayer team are going to be there waiting to pray with you. Not to expose you, but to set you free. To walk that path of freedom with you. Or maybe it's a, a text you need to send this afternoon, a phone call you need to make. When God reveals, he does it so that we will let him act. And part of his action always involves our confession. It always involves our repentance. So we're going to sing this last song together. As we do, take a moment. If you need to join in prayer with somebody next to you, if you need to go to the prayer room and have somebody pray for you, however you choose to respond, please, please, please respond to what the Lord is saying to you today.
Spirit, that's our prayer today, that you will come and wake up these dry bones, that you will come and breathe life into dead spaces, that we will receive the revelation of our sin as a gift and an invitation into a life of freedom and hope. So Lord, I pray as we go today that you will bring us an awareness that we cannot escape your spirit, we cannot escape your life, that you will not stop. You will be relentless in your pursuit of the deepest parts of our hearts. So Lord, help us to receive your conviction as a gift. Help us to receive your revelation as just a, a sign of your presence in our lives. And help us, Lord, to take action when you begin to reveal the things inside of us that are causing death and destruction. Forgive us, Lord, for being more concerned with our appearance and our reputation than we are with the condition of our heart. So I pray this week that your spirit would speak loudly and clearly. As we read the scriptures, will you speak to us about the state of our soul? As we pray, may your spirit speak directly to our circumstances. As we return to work, may you show us the spaces where we've given in to compromise. As we go back to school, may we see all of the areas, Lord, where we're tempted to choose a path that we know is not pleasing to you. Lord, and as you reveal these things to us, may we hear the call of your spirit to come close that you are gathering us in your arms to protect us, to provide for us, and to lead us from where we are to where you want us to be. So Lord, I pray the blessing of new life over every person who's here, of a deep and authentic relationship with you that flows from the depths of their soul and brings life to everything that it touches. We thank you, Lord, that what you have promised, you have also provided. And so we choose to accept your grace. We choose to accept your mercy. We choose to accept you as our Savior, our Lord, and our King over every inch of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. May you go in his grace and go in his freedom.